0: The subject I have for you this morning, and I hope it will come up on the screen in a moment, is this. From Brown Earth to Brown Bread. Now I need to explain that title to you. What I'm actually going to be talking about is God's plan for harvest. Now the good news is this. God's got a plan. He's working his plan. In these days... And his plan is for the harvest of souls to come through Jesus Christ. But the wonderful thing is this, that God wants us to become a part of his plan. I said my title was From Brown Earth to Brown Bread. There's a subtitle to it, From Brown Earth to Brown Bread in 12 Not-So-Easy Steps. So as I'm going through them, you know you've got a 12-point sermon this morning. So the good thing is that when I'm getting to number 11, you know it's coming to an end. But I want you to take note of where we are in the, in the process. Now I base my message this morning on these scriptures. First Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says, "I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase." I want to say that God's plan for harvest isn't that it should be a one-man show, but that God wants to bring souls through Jesus through a team. Not just the elders, not just the pastor, not just the evangelist, but God wants, every one of us involved. Uh, you know that Paul sets out a threefold process, planting, watering, and growing. And the important part of all that is the last word It is: it's God that gives the growth. We plant, we water, but it's only God can make things grow. Hallelujah. But we thank God we're in this business with God. I amplify that. I said that in this we're a team. First Corinthians 3 and verse 9 says, speaking perhaps of him and Paulus, for we are God's fellow workers. We're working together in this. We're very different people. We have different roles, Apollos and I. But nevertheless, we're working together to work it out. And I want to tell you this morning that in God's plan of harvest in this place, let me declare clearly by the Spirit of God, God is going to see a harvest in this church, a mighty harvest, but God wants you to be a part of it. Hallelujah but there's something even more wonderful in that statement. I think, although some Bible scholars would disagree with me, but God will show them that I'm right. <laughs> I believe that when he talks about being God's fellow workers, he's not talking about really about him and Apollos. I think he's saying, I'm with God, I'm God's fellow ap- worker. Do you know, isn't it a wonderful thing that God calls us to work in him? When I was at school, I was hopeless at soccer. Well, I was hopeless at most sports. I was good at rugby because I was big, I was strong, and, and I played in the front row. But anything that required any skill, I was hopeless. Do you remember when you were in school, they'd pick up teams? Do you remember? Did you all do that? And they say, I love Joe, I love Fred, I love... Nobody wanted Warren. Warren. I was always the last one to be chosen to be on the team. But God this morning says, Warren, I want you on my team. Hallelujah. And I'm God's fellow worker. The, the, the term fellow worker is the word that we get here. Our, our English word synergy, Tom. We're two people working together for a bigger outcome. And God says, Warren, I want you on my team. I want you to be working along with me, working as I work. Working with me to bring about something mighty. Hallelujah. And then in First Corinthians 3, 9, we have this other statement. It says, you are God's field. Now it's from that point I get the brown earth. All harvests start with a brown field. And God says, you're it. We're it. But God's going to do something. With that brown field, because he's looking for the harvest, and then, in in this is Second, First Corinthians ten, verse seventeen. I should have a one in front of it. For though we, though many, we are one bread. So God is starting with a field, brown earth, and He's ending with bread, a brown loaf. Hallelujah. And I want to take you through that process. I don't pretend to know more than Paul, but I believe that all, as Paul gives us a general outline, we can break that down even further. So where does this process start? I said it's from brown earth to brown bread in 12 easy steps. What's the first part of the process? Well, before I show you, I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine. He was a curate in, a, in a, a church, opposite the church I was in in Bradford. And he got a position on local radio. I said, Steve, that's marvelous. You're there on local radio bringing in the harvest for Jesus. He said, Warren, I'm not bringing in the harvest. No, I said, you're just planting a seed. He said, Warren, I'm not even planting a seed. All I'm doing is turning over the ground before any planting takes place you need to know step number one, ploughing. You know the verses that speak? Matthew 13:8. other seed fell in good ground. And it was only the seed that had gone into the good ground that grew. Those are have fallen by the way, said, the harder. And in these days, I believe that the ground, men's hearts are hardened. They trample down. By the unbelief that's in our society. So we need a way. You know, I'm not only a hopeless soccer player, but I'm a lousy gardener. I, I have the kiss of death to anything greed. But I, but I go along to Tesco's or wherever in the spring, and I get my little pot of plants, and I get the little tag that's on it, and you know what it always says? First, prepare the ground. Proverbs 11, 30, Whoever wins soul is wise. And we're not necessarily going to go planting, but we're going to plant where we've already prepared the ground to receive that seed. There's a lovely verse in Acts 16 and verse 14. It's about Lydia, the the, the seller of purple. This is Paul beginning his European mission. And he says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention What said what was said by Paul? God had gone ahead of him, and he'd gone to Lydia's heart. He'd already prepared it. So when Paul spoke, it just didn't bounce off, just not in through one ear, out through the other, but it found a place in a heart that God had opened. And I think in these days more than ever, those of us who are wise in soul winning will begin to prepare the soil. Let me suggest to you. For sharp shares and that's not an easy thing to say four sharp shares you know what a ploughshare is don't you a ploughshare share is, is a flat piece of metal with a sharp edge to it and it's bent over so as it cuts into the soil and throws it over it's preparing for the farmer to come along with a seed and I believe God puts in our hands four sharp shares to our plow the first one is social action. Now, when I was a young Christian in the church, people used to frown when you said social action. Oh, that's what the liberal Christians do. They're always on about feeding and the, the, the hungry and home, finding place for the homeless. We are the spiritual ones, the conservative evangelicals. We preach a spiritual gospel. Well, let me tell you, my friend, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a social as well as a spiritual gospel. And I rejoice that I've seen in my lifetime evangelical churches taking on their spiritual. Social as well as a spiritual responsibility. Uh, General Booth led the way, didn't he? He says, You can't go to people and help them, open, open them to the love of God when they've got cold feet and an empty stomach. And so he saw that this was asking. And I believe there are needs in this society. Not the same needs that General Booth saw in his day, but there are needs out psychological needs, social needs. There's loneliness. And God calls us on his team to begin to work in a community, to see the needs. And as we see those needs, begin to open people's hearts to the gospel that they need. The second one is personal friendship. Now I'm going to say something that you might not be happy with. But I'm going to say it all the same. You don't have to ask me again. You've asked me twice and I appreciate that very much. When I was a boy... Open airs were the big thing. My word, I have shouted on every street corner in the the Valley. By I told them they were all going to hell. But you know, I didn't see one soul come to Jesus Christ. And I have learned, my friend, over the years. I believe that open air work has its place, not against it. But I have proved this over and over, that the most effective form of evangelism and souling Soul winning is personal friendship. There is nothing works as much as finding someone and just getting alongside them, opening up your heart, opening up your home, opening up your life. And as they open, you find they, they as you open up to them, they open up to you. Again, I'm going to tell you something that might cause offence, but I'm going to say it again. On one occasion, I was giving a talk on evangelism with a a, a New Zealander. And he was giving his lecture. And his lecture was on soul winning. But he couldn't spell. And instead of saying soul winning, he wrote S-O-U-L. Can you see what's coming? W-I-N-I-N. N-G. He didn't realise that winning has two ends, and what he wrote was soul whining. <laughs> now that doesn't sit very comfortably to us but I believe the, pro- the truth of hospitality. If it's not whining, it's a cup of coffee. It's a warm meal. It's opening our lives to those that are around us. Whining souls to Jesus. And then the next sharp share is personal testimony. I know nothing more effective in touching people's hearts and lives than your personal testimony of how Jesus changed you, came into your life, transformed your family, made a new person, how you were born again, how everything changed. I think, my friend, you need to realise the power that God has put in your mouth to touch people's lives with your testimony. Not necessarily the testimony of what happened 20 or 30 years ago, but your testimony of how Jesus is alive, how he's at work today, and what he's doing for you. Hallelujah. And if I might suggest a fourth sharp share, it's personal prayer. Do you know, I found a strange thing. God seems more willing to help non-Christians than Christians. Anybody else found that? Uh, and I found that when i have been in a hospital visiting and i have gone to my member and I said, I'm going to pray with you. And uh, the other people in the ward, after they say, come and pray for me. Come and pray for me. Come and pray for me. You see, I've yet met a person who's refused a prayer. And you say, well, they're not even Christians. No, but God knows their need. And graciously, we heard that lovely term this morning, we come before the throne of grace. And we can bring our neighbors, our friends. I know a church in Dover that was started because the lady was sick. And they went in to the next door. They prayed for her. And the whole thing opened up. So four sharp shares. Social action, winding people to Jesus. Personal friendship, personal testimony, personal prayer. So that's number one you think that have taken a long time, you will be pleased to know that as we get through, the points get shorter. So the last lot will go very, very quickly. So stay with me. So number two is going to be sowing. Once we've opened up the ground to receive the word, here are the scriptures. The seed, says Jesus, when he's interpreting the parable of the sower, he said the seed is the word of God. That was on last night's telly, not the real latest philosophical thought. Not the political situation. Not, not this film or that idea. There's only one thing that's going to bring souls to Jesus. It's the word of God. The word of God is a meaning. 1 Peter says, one twenty three Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. That seed is a living thing. It might less look like a dried up pip, but there's life in it. Do you know, seeds are amazing things. They've gone into the tubes of the pharaohs in the pyramids and they found buried with those pharaohs pots of corn, probably 2,000, 3,000 years old. They brought it out after 3,000 years they planted the corn and it sprung to life because it's incorruptible. I remember I said I was a hopeless soccer player, a hopeless gardener, and I wasn't much of an academic in school, but I did pass O-level biology. And I remember our biology teacher, Mr. Weaver, he says, Now, boys, I'm taking this pea because a dried pea is a seed, you know that, don't you? And uh, he says, I'm going to put it in this little tobacco tin, Heated it up under the Bunsen burner until it was black. And he says, boys, you think now I've killed that pea, don't you? He says, we'll see. And he took it. Anybody do this in school? Put blotting paper into a jam jar with moisture? Nobody else. You did it in your school. Good school. So, so we put it into the jam jar. And blow me. That seed that had gone black. Because you couldn't destroy the life was in it. It pushed out, first of all, a little shoot, which was positively phototropic and negatively geotropic. Told you I'd passed biology, didn't I? <laughs> and it put out a little root that was positively geotropic and negatively phototropic. That means the shoot goes down and the, and the shoot goes up. It's amazing. And. Uh, So, you know, seeds are amazing. God has wonderful ways of dispersing seeds. You know, every time you take that dandelion and you say, what time is it? One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. You know what you're doing. You're involved in seed dispersal. Because God has made some seeds with wings so the wind can carry it. And you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the seed of his word, has gone on the wings of the wind, by radio and television, over the the iron curtain, over the bamboo curtain, into godless countries, and people are getting saved because God's word is going there. Hallelujah. And in other ways, (coughs) let me just, again, I don't want to cause offence. But God, in his wisdom, has planted the seed within the fruit Well, why does he plant the seed within the fruit? Well, for this reason, to attract. You see, you take a grape. I mean real grape. What's this business of uh, seedless grapes? Don't understand that, do you? And a grape is there. I'm not going to cause offence now, I hope. And a little bird comes along. And he says, oh, that's a nice little grape. And he takes it. And swallows it, and flies away. And a hundred yards further on, he's involved in seed dispersal, and he drops it with his own package of fertilizer, so it can grow. Isn't God wonderful? And I believe that God wants to put His seed in the fruit of the spirit. And as I know the fruit of the spirit, will have, I become attractive to people. And when they take me, they take God's word with me, and they receive it. Hallelujah for that. But here's a wonderful verse. Luke 11, 37. It says, If any part of the carcass falls upon any seed grain that is be sold, it is clean. Many years ago, I heard in Cardiff the Romanian pastor um, Richard Wurmbrand. Anybody else hear him? He wrote a very famous book called Tortured for Christ. I remember him standing there. And you you heard him very powerful, read the book, and he gave this horrendous scream from the pit of his stomach. He said, that's the cry of your brothers that are in prisons for the gospel in the, behind the, the Iron Curtain in the Eastern Bloc. And then he said, we true pastors are put in jail for preaching the gospel. And the communist authorities put in our places non-believers. They weren't Christian pastors, they were just positioned there by the communist government but he said we couldn't understand it because souls were still getting saved they were preaching and people were coming to faith in jesus then he said we read leviticus chapter 11. now leviticus chapter 11 is an interesting chapter and it's all about how death contaminates if you touch a dead body you become defiled by that Uh, and more so If a woman, it says, has a pot and a little mouse creeps into it and dies, then the pot is defiled. It says it's so defiled that you can't scrub it clean again. You've got to smash the pot and start all over again. But what if somebody has got a sack of seed for planting? You know, seed, when it's harvested, you use it for two purposes. To make bread and is set aside for next year's harvest. So if in your shed, you were a sack of seed, and a little rat comes along, and nibbles at the sack, and dies, you come into the shed, and say, oh no, that's all my seed. No, says God. It's not. If any part of the carcass falls upon any seed that is to be sown, it's clean. The deadness in the rat can't defile the life that's in the seed hallelujah and there's life in the word of god and, and the deadness in the rats of those preachers it couldn't defile the power that was in the seed of god as they preached the word of god and it had its effect hallelujah for that do you ever wonder why some of these american evangelists they live lives that are not honoring god preach truth some of them preach doctors sometimes that isn't according to the word and yet the sea soul so saved. Why is it happening? Because God always honours his word. The seed is the word. And the death in the rat can't affect the life that's in the seed. Hallelujah. Oh, Ecclesiastes 11 and 16. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you shall find it after many days. In the morning sow your seed. And at the evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that. And then Psalm 126, verse 5. He who continually goes forth, weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So we're going to keep on sowing. We're going to make friends with people who are not Christians, open our hope to them, open their hearts, and we're going to drop in God's word. And one day, hallelujah, when we get a glory, we'll be taking those sheaves with us. There's one desire I have. I've been a pastor over 50 years. I don't want to go into heaven on my own. I want to take sheaves with me. I want to take souls. I want stars in my crowd. Oh God, will you help us to win souls for the Savior? But there are two types of sower. I'm nearly finished on the sowing. And as I promise you, it will get quicker as I go on. But you need to hear this. There are two types of sower. First of all, there's the broadcaster. You've heard of broadcasting seed? That's what Jesus was talking about when he goes and sows his seeds. They throw it everywhere. My word, they can't stop. They can't help it. They, I think we call those people evangelists. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something in them. But we're not all like that. So it's God for a place for me as well? In my reserved nature? Well, not as reserved, is it? But in your small place? as you're part of the team, I believe there are not only broadcasters, there are one at a timers, hallelujah. I told you about that school where nobody wanted to pick me on their team. We weren't very big on woodworking in my school. I only ever made two things in woodwork, uh, uh, a string winder, which is a flat piece of wood with a notch in it, and a plant dibber, which is a flat bit of wood with a point at the end. And the point of, of the dibber was you put the 40 of sword and you dropped in the seed. And maybe you're a one-at-a-timer. God is putting in your hand a dibber, so that that one person that comes along, you just drop the seed and you're going to see the harvest. Hallelujah. So we're on number three. What comes after sowing? Watering. Well, what does the Bible say about watering? Well, what is the water? In the New Testament, the water represents, well, we'll, this verse will tell us what it represents. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed to receive. You have the seed of the word and the water of the spirit. Back to my primary school, with a blotting paper and a peer and a jam jar, we had two. In one we put water, so the, the blotting paper soaked it up, the other we left dry. And after a few weeks, the one that was, had the moisture sprouted. The one that was dry nothing happened and i believe my friends we need not only to be sowing the word of god but we need the blessing the movement the ministry of the holy spirit upon us you see i read the verse that says we're born of the seed of god of the word of god which is incorruptible but in john 4, 3 5 and 8 it tells us the land you were, i'm sorry you know what? Something has jumped. So I've got a biscuit. I've got a and I'd come but um Hold oh no, but this is it. I'm sorry. I, I I apologize for the mess I've just made of this server. But you're still with me, aren't you? Are we still talking about watering? Jesus answered said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We are born of the Word, but we are born of the Spirit. Now this interesting verse. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 10 and 11. Speaking to the children of Israel after they come out of Egypt, God says, The land you were entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt for which you've come, which you watered with your foot like a garden of vegetables. But the land you are going to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water by the rain from heaven. What he's talking about is this. You know that Egypt, where they were, was irrigated by the river Nile. And they would dig channels, canals off the Nile, and they cut channels off that and channels off that until it came to your little garden where you planted your corn. But the trouble was, by the time the River Nile reached your garden, it was below the level of the land. So they made water wheels that you pumped with your foot to get the water up because you know you needed the water. Well, my friend, Water George spent 40 years trying to pump it up. But God's promise is this, my friend. We don't have to work to pump it up. He's going to send us the rain from heaven. Hallelujah. And uh, Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1. Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the spring rain. So far, I believe what I've told you is according to the word. What I'm going to share next is something that is my conviction. I don't ask you to share it, but I want one unburden myself to you. For many years, I've been sceptical about revival. For me, revival very often, the tide came in, and the tide went out and left things high and dry. But over these last few years, as I've surveyed the spiritual scene in Wales, seen what our Go- Welsh government is doing, I've come to a place, my friend, well, I believe the only answer for our nation is a divine visitation of the Holy Spirit. God, to come in revival again, pour out His Spirit so that men can be saved. Remember the old song? Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us a falling. But I, I didn't do the first verse, did I? There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of love. There shall be seasons refreshing, said from the Saviour above. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us a calling, but for the showers we plead. There shall be showers of blessing. Precious reviving again. Over these hills and the valleys, the sound of abundance of rain. Showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling. But for the showers we plead. There shall be. I want to declare at this moment my personal conviction before God. Because I don't see any other way. Because I don't see any other. I believe it on my the heart. There shall be showers of blessing. Oh, that today they but fall. While to God with confessing, Wireless on Jesus, we call. That's watering. We've reached at last number four. I'll be very quick with this one. Number four, what's next is weeding. I can be very quick with this. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 13, 24 to 30, A man sowed good seed, but while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. No gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. For weeding, what did Jesus say? Don't do it. You know, when I was in Bible school, it is a short time, were, later on at the same Bible school, there was a man oh, from Yorkshire whose name was Ernest Weeding. And a young lady in Bible school fell in love with him and she wrote a love poem to him called God's Garden la, 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 I don't remember the word la, 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 la. But I remember the last word. La, 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 God's garden needs earnest weeding. And the last thing God's garden needs is earnest weeding. I was involved in a mini revival in the little town of Tonabandy, the Revival Valley. We all see young people come in. And one earnest weeder was in the congregation. A lovely Christian lady. The leader of these group of young men was called Arthur. And he was in Days of the Mullet. Do you remember? Long hair. And one evening around the piano, when all these young people were coming to faith, she said, Arthur, you're a Christian now. You should get your hair cut. She thought she was doing weeding for God. Arthur walked out, took all of them with him. So my friend, since that day, I'll be very cautious. Sometimes we've got to leave it to God for him to deal with the problems that come with those that get saved. And so after the weeding, number five, we've got to move it quickly now because of time, reaping. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Do they say, that are yet four months. Then come the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields of white in the harvest. Sometimes we're very good at sowing, good at watering, but we're not so good at reaping. What do I mean by reaping? I believe this. Reaping is bringing those souls in whom we have sowed the seed of the word in which the Spirit has been at work to a point of decision. To, uh, by decision I mean, to a point where they know, absolute up, up assurance that they belong to Jesus Christ. God, give us grace in this Bethel evangelical church to know a reaping of souls, bringing people to a point of real assurance. Hallelujah. And let us not grow weary in well doing. For a due season, we will reap if we do it for. Number six, I'm moving as quickly as I can. It'll go quite quickly now. In fact, I might just uh, stop a little earlier. Storing. Do you know, I had a friend, and uh, he used to do uh, street evangelism, and he had a tract, and it was like selling insurance. They said yes to every page, and in the end, they said yes, and they, they were saved. And he'd come to church on a Sunday morning and say, 14 saved on the street last night, Pastor. And I said, well, where are they this morning, Steve? Oh, he said, it doesn't matter where they are this morning. But the word of God tells me. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And it's our responsibility, not just to bring to the decision, to make them a part of God's body, to make room for them, give a place to them, to bring them into God's house. Oh, we're on number seven. Can I have just five more minutes? I'll go through this quickly. I know I've gone on quickly. I go as quickly as I can. But God isn't just wanting to fill His barns. That's what pastors want to do. Oh, I've got this number about you. I've got that number. God isn't concerned with that. He's got a purpose. He's making bread, and in the to make bread, He's going to bring corn out and He starts threshing it. And threshing is an interesting process. Isaiah twenty eight says, "Dill is not threshed with threshing sledge, nor is a cart wheeled over a cubic, but dill is beaten out of a stick and cubic with a rod." When you get the corn, it's got a husk around it, and that's no good for the bread. You've got to get at the kernel. When we come to Christ, very often there are lots of things, and God has to get those things away from us, so He puts us through a threshing, a beating, and some people need a cart over them, some just need a sledge, some just with sticks. But don't be surprised my friend when you come to jesus christ that god puts you through a threshing but after the threshing there's winnowing you see when they've threshed it the husks and the kernel are all mixed together and there's two ways of dealing with it there's to the throw it up in the air with a shovel you remember what jesus says his winnowing fork is in his hand and he would clear his threshing fork he throws it up in the air the wind comes Blows away the husk and the kernel falls around. And sometimes after you come to Jesus, we have a, a threshing and then we go through a winnowing and we say, what's happening, Lord? It's all up in the air. He's or he's getting, separating you from the husk, but he's taking it out of your lives. And then, Lord, well, I've been threshed. I've been winnowed. Surely I'm ready now. No, he says, the next step is grinding. He says, you shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be. They shall be of fine flour. Those mills of God grind slow, but they grind exceeding small. In the Jewish religion, it was a wonderful religion, when you came to church, sometimes you take a loaf of bread with you and you give the priest a wave. And I like that kind of church myself, uh, but that loaf was special. It couldn't be made with any of it. So it was fine flour. And God's making bread of us and he wants to find us. So he puts us through, good through the mill, God's grinding you down. Let me move quickly. This missile scrumpture says, And you say, Lord, I've been threshed, winnowed, ground. What, uh, what's next? He says, kneading. They take the flour. He says, Am I not ready now, God? Oh, no, God says, I'm making bread. I'm going to join you with everyone else. When I was a boy, I used to love putting my head in through the, the door of the, of the baker's next, in our street. And you'd see him kneading the bread. He'd get two in his hand and he'd bash the living ladles out of it. Then he'd put it on the shelf to prove to rise. And after a while, he'd take it out and give it a about bashing. Feel i having a bashing? That's what God is doing us, knocking us together. Because he's making bread out of us, bringing us together. Well, Lord, i be threshed, widowed, ground, uh, kneaded. Surely not more. Yes, says God. You've never learned. There's baking. You know, God's going to put you through the fire. When you walk through the fire, you should not be burned. and The flame should not consume you. Ephraim is a cake, not turned. Do you know, God doesn't want you half-baked. Some of them, one of my favorite aromas is that of baked freshly break bread. Anybody like it? You know, it's nicer to my mind than Chanel Number 5. Oh, freshly baked bread. And I have known that fragrance in the lives of some wonderful Christians who have gone through the fire of God's testing. And it hasn't burned them, it hasn't scarred them, but it's brought from their lives a wonderful aroma. Uh, I'm just going to go very quickly. And then... So after the baking, surely, after number eleven, we have the brown bread. God's got a purpose. He's got a purpose for this church. He's gonna harvest. And not just to bring the, to fill it with numbers, but to produce something wonderful. At the beginning I said, those were how many steps did I say they were? I said twelve. How many steps has it taken to get to the bread? Had you not noticed? 11. Oh, you were mistaken, Warren. No. There's a 12th step. God has made his bread, he's making bread, so that it can be broken to feed a hungry world. May God bless you. May God give in this place by his spirit, through the word, a mighty harvest for the glory of Jesus.